Your Highnesses, Your Excellencies, distinguished guests, midshipmen and cadets, and ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Uh, on behalf of Parsons, it, it really is a privilege to uh, be a, a sponsor of this uh, great conference and also a privilege to have the opportunity to introduce our keynote speaker this afternoon, His Highness Prince Abdullah Al Saud, Ambassador of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia to the United States. Now, Dr. Anthony uh, said quite a bit about uh, Parsons and our work over the years in the Middle East, but Parsons really made its reputation in the Arabian Peninsula by managing one particular project, the Yanbu Industrial City, for one particular client organization, the Royal Commission of Jubail and Yanbu, and working directly for and with a certain individual who studied engineering in the UK and then had a long distinguished business and investment career representing his country and is now representing his country abroad and that would be Ambassador Al Saud. Now, we've had a lot of discussion today and, the, and yesterday about Saudi Arabia's Vision 2030, and quite a bit of debate about you know, the confidence levels and its success and its prospects. Well, one of the reasons that I'm personally very confident in the prospects uh, for the National Transformation Vision is that the kingdom has actually done it before, albeit on a different scale with the Jubail and Yanbu projects, led by our speaker today. If you think about it, in 1975, Saudi Arabia didn't have a hydrocarbon economy. It had a crude oil export economy. Its other, and its other economies, uh, other commodities, gold, copper, zinc, phosphates. There was little downstream production. There was no manufacturing to speak of, no chemical industry and few, if any, industrial jobs for its population. The kingdom at that time decided, we've got to change this. We've got to do more internally. We've got to diversify what we have. And it decided to create not one, but two great showcase industrial cities on either coast, basically from scratch. Now, it was an idea that was criticized at the time of being pie in the sky and, and overly uh, ambitious, but it was a long-term vision. It was a, driven by an understanding of commercial capabilities, competitiveness, and future market trends, and the need to diversify the economy. It included environmental protection and sustainability elements from the very beginning, just as we are seeing in the uh, uh, Vision 2030. And it worked, due in large measure to the vision and the management acumen of Ambassador Al Saud. Today, the Saudi crude oil economy is, is a far more robust petrochemical, fertilizer, plastics, and shipping powerhouse with thousands of jobs and the establishment of new world-class uh, corporations such as Sabic. Now, fresh from ushering in the kingdom's first economic transformation, the ambassador then took his talents to the investment arena and led the Saudi Arabian General Investment Authority generating foreign investment opportunities in the kingdom while creating new financial sector jobs for Saudi nationals. And under his watch, some 2,000 foreign business licenses were issued for a total of $15 billion. 
And after that long, successful business and finance career, Ambassador Al Saud is now bringing his progressive free market outlook and his deep understanding of America to his new job as the representative of King Salman here in Washington. Now, we all know that timing is everything, and in the past year, it hasn't been exactly the most tranquil year in U.S.-Saudi uh, relations, ranging from the JASTA debate to the, some of the rhetoric in our presidential campaign to some of the divergences in strategic perspectives that we've heard in the last two days. But just as I am confident that in the success of Vision 2030, based on the previous success of Jubail and Yanbu, I am equally bullish on the future of U.S.-Saudi relations, due in large measure to the dynamism, the communication skills, and most of all, the sense of humor possessed by our speaker today. When an ambassador is not afraid to go off script and crack a joke at a public forum, and I've heard him do it a number of times, you know that he is comfortable in his own skin and he's confident in his abilities. In that sense, he's very American. And I know that the next U.S. president will appreciate his candor as well as his wit, just as the current occupant of the White House does, and just as all American diplomats, scholars, and business people with whom he has worked uh, and who are honored to call him by his nickname, AFT. Ladies and gentlemen, it was with great pleasure that I introduce to you today Ambassador His Highness Prince Abdullah bin Faisal bin Turkey Al Saud. Ambassador. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for uh, all those that worked on this conference and those that contributed and of course the people who did all the work and for the nice introduction. <clears throat> I would like to debate some of the things you said, but there's no time. <laughs> I think the best thing is just wait for the book. Uh, everybody's been very kind because I'm ambassador of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and I've been called all sorts of fantastic things from three star, well, actually somebody gave me five star Michelin. I, I, I like to cook, and as you can see, I like to eat. And even Washington would not uh, stop me from doing these things. Um, and then all the things you said, anyway, it's not the time to dispute it, uh, but you're very kind. Um, in the rush to accommodate all uh, the requests to attend and all the great things they've done, the organizers never told me what they wanted me to speak about. <laughs> now I go to you, Bill. What do you want to speak about? <laughs> the history of balsamic vinegar? <laughs> or the best rice for uh, the Saudi dish, kabsa? I can speak about this for hours. As for Saudi, American relations, Arab-American relations. I mean, I'm only the ambassador. How can I talk about these things? And I'm still learning. It's been a very uh, steep uh, uh, learning curve. My background was economic development, not even finance or investment. I was 
in the policy game, when I failed tremendously at Sagia to make a big impact on the Saudi public uh, sector management. And now, the 2030 vision is the one where I hope a lot of great achievements internally, economically, socially, and in the long run, politically, uh, will ride on it. Um, many things were said that covered many aspects of issues that you would be you know, interested to hear about. The ambassador uh, cannot have an opinion. So all the subjects were covered, and I heard Prince Turkey didn't leave anything to be discussed. He explained so many aspects, historical. John, of course, with his uh, professorial tendencies, is so great in explaining a lot of background. So there is really very little. What I will do is maybe tell you very quickly the, the story of uh, since I came here, I presented my credentials uh, about, I think, eight months ago, end of January. Um, before, I wasn't not really very close. Interacting with Saudi-American relations started with these people and others, the Arab-American organizations back in the 70s. Actually, the one that got me hooked on this for a little while, but I, I didn't have a problem going cold turkey, was the great Fred Dutton, who uh, used to be a general counsel to Aramco, SAVEC, the embassy, and almost everybody. And he grabbed me once when I was visiting here in 1978 and said, you must go with me to the Congress. I thought actually it was for a tour, you know. So I went because he wanted to get any Saudi to go with him. <laughs> and suddenly I sat, I found myself sitting. I thought it was like in Saudi Arabia. You turn up and you knock a door and you go in and any official sit and have coffee. And uh, then I sat with a congressman. And Fred was trying to get Saudis to get used to the American political process, you go to the Congress. In those days, we wanted uh, some weapons. Uh, later on, 79, 80, 81. So I was fascinated. Then I came across, again, I was invited by almost mistake to some big convention with Arab organizations. And everybody looks at our titles. And suddenly, you push. And you don't know, you know, you become a keynote speaker. And you get on the podium and start trying to come up with something, you know, sensible without saying anything, because I didn't have, so I used to say all generalities. Then many of us uh, officials and others and King Fahad and uh, felt that Arab-American organizations should be supported here because of the issues. In those days, number one was, and still is really, although people don't look up so far, is really the Palestinian problem. And other things. Then by 82, meant more things, Lebanon, this and this and this, and you know the rest of the story. Mr. Khomeini turns up next door and decides, ah, the best way to rule is to attack everybody else. In those days, I think we were mini Satan, maybe medium, medium to small Satan. 
and the United States was number one. Then the problems start, and sea uh, threats, this, there, and this. But I basically was interested in these things for a while. Since I retired from public service, um, 15, can't count, 12 years ago, I wasn't really in touch with things. And then suddenly, I saw big attacks in the media on Saudi Arabia, a little bit maybe about a year ago. And then when my, um, my nomination happened, I decided to follow political things. So I watched the news more. I changed my TV. Before it was food stations, soccer, art, uh, local news, and then at the end, uh, news. And um, I was astonished. You know, there were things from the sublime to the ridiculous. Now, the status of the fourth estate in the Western democracies, in our opinion, in the third world, when we used to worship these icons, was totally destroyed after the Iraq invasion. And the reaction to the media, we used to, because of our shortcomings in many third world countries, worship newspapers in the West, freedom of speech, freedom of this. And when we saw what they were saying after Iraq war, and continuously for months and then years, all your institutions were, I cannot do a hand sign, but you know, to people, uh, whatever the Italians would. <laughs> huh. Because they were not at all sensible, honorable, honest, and all of the things, the poor uh, third world that were always, because of their, what they thought were shortcomings in their own societies, looked at the great people who say, we are the best, we have this, we have this, and in fact, we can go to your country and kill you for what we have. And then they don't apply it in their own. You know, this sort of... Um, and then I found big attack. And then I come here to Washington. And from day one, I was dazed and confused. And this is a famous phrase that came from famous poets of the late 60s, a group of poets, uh, late 60s and 70s, called Led Zeppelin. <laughs> and I, uh, you like Led Zeppelin? <laughs> we should have had background music here. <laughs> and then there was no stairway to heaven here. <laughs> anyway, and I'm astonished. Uh, and I look at things, of course, what people don't realize until they work with things is actually Washington changed. The issues changed. The basics for Saudi foreign policy did not change. The Saudis has been more proactive because the issues, the market, the demand, the, the places have been a lot more vibrant and, and real time and um, lots of things were happening. 
People tend to like to compare administrations, personalities, and this is totally wrong. You compare what is there in the field. We look at uh, what we have in the Middle East. What happened to the Middle East? If I try to speak about what's happening now, 20 years ago, people would have said, there's no room for more diseases in the Middle East. There's no room for more uh, space to stab, to do. Uh, there's no more room for this and this and that. And all this actually happened. And it is very sad. Now, there's a lot of rubbish on the internet. There has always been. Because people are far away and they have nothing to do, I think, all day. And <laughs> or they are pushing, <coughs> pushing things and they have their own programs. It's just the people who take them seriously. So when I, I wasn't at all tweeting the tweets or uh, listening or some people send me things. And it really looked very depressing. Final meeting with our head of state about my nomination after they took the handcuffs off uh, <laughs> was when he sat down with the princes and the ministers and um, he uh, said, Alhamdulillah, relations are good. Uh, Inshallah, it will get better. And I'm sure many of you know the meaning. Inshallah means God willing. And I remember an Englishman who uh, dealt with Arab Gulf students a long time ago. When people communicated with him, said, Inshallah, he said, OK, Inshallah, yes, or Inshallah, no. <laughs> anyway, the king said relations are good. And then I had the fortune of actually coming with him before I was accepted by the United States as a member of the delegation. And then we worked within the foreign ministry and other departmental work here. And many people were exaggerating some issues, some problems. The style we have now in the upper government is for the reason of what is required. Not because of, you know, personality quirks or this person or that person. Of course, personal style matters. And don't tell me it doesn't happen in democracies. But uh, it is what was needed. In the older days, it was big issues that move slowly. And then corresponding what's happening on Earth, a lot of issues were coming. And what is more so now is that a lot of things are happening around Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia is doing what it, the, the, I should say the market requires. Some Arabs or others might think that Saudi Arabia, just one day, the king at the time got upset with little Bashar al-Assad. Why did we get upset when he, of all people, had a very special position for Syria for a long time? It's because he killed al-Hariri, Rafiq al-Hariri, and was doing things in Lebanon. It wasn't because the Saudis woke up and said, 
Ah, today I must find an enemy uh, to make me feel better in my own or find an enemy like other neighbors did uh, for my own rule. And then it developed from there. Why are we are upset about the fact that he's con continuing. You know, it's very simple. He is bad because the Syrian people don't want him. At least 12 million who went out. And then it's difficult to make a deal while he's there. You go try to, in historically, go back and, and see what some problems happened around the world where centers on the behavior or the action and the, or the success of one person who did a lot of damage to humanity, killed a lot of people or started wars or whatever. You go and ask the victims and, you know, why not think about the Syrians also? We have to think that all of these things are going to, the aftermath will remain with us. We're going to be there. We're not flying, doing uh, bombing or long, long distance, whatever the toys are now, and then uh, forget about it or find somebody to clear up policing or cleaning up or whatever. We have to live with all of, with all of this. When one official asked me, uh, why are you hitting infrastructure? I said, we're not hitting infrastructure. We're not like the Israelis. Israelis Hezbollah love a, uh, love a missile, then they go and hit a bridge or a power station. <laughs> we, we don't want to do that, and we have been and will be forever with the Yemen people, having to deal with issues, having to deal with problems. The same everywhere. What are the basic parameters of Saudi foreign policy? Protection of human lives, the peace of mind of those lives, and the economic well-being. People have to eat. They have to plan. People need all issues to do with um, the, the dignity of daily living. You cannot do that with what's happening. You cannot solve problems by concocting convenient peace agreements on nice loans. You cannot go from one meeting to another just thinking about that moment and the photo op and what is your, what are you going to do with the press? You know, instead of saying what are you going to do with the deaths of people or the timing or what should we do, the main obsession is what to do with the press now. Do we do a press conference or a press briefing? Yalla, yalla, let's do photo op this, yes, ready, and then go to another meeting. We have to all work very hard. Saudi Arabia has been one of the most consistent third world countries, and certainly Arab countries, in its relations with the outside. I'll tell you facts. You go check them, and I'm not going to elaborate. We had our best relations with well-established, well-respected democracies. We had problems with failed states failed leaders who some of you used to call the progressive Arab regimes. Progressive because of the title of the name they picked. Khomeini, by the way, picked Islamic Republic. 
the Saudis said Arabian, because this is what related. You, you don't use religion as a, a label to go. Like all this Islamic banking or this or that, it's not uh, Saudi Arabia Islamic because the people are Islamic, because it has the, <laughs> and you don't need to go and stick it on labels. We never used it, we never had the intention. Now with the United States, started purely business, then people to people through the oil activities and engineering activities, and students and education. Only much later, and in response to something, the strategic convergence of views happened. Why? Because the Soviets were coming from under the table and over the table. And we sided with the West. And you know why? For internal reasons. The bulk of Saudi population now were in the middle, untouched by modernization, world activity for almost a thousand years, because the Ottomans blocked. Uh, we had absolutely nothing, and it's so difficult to uh, uh, describe how it was, even in my generation's early days. And it, we were not worth colonizing. Even the Ottomans would not colonize us. And the only people we saw, the Turks coming, killing a few people, taking some shooting practice. And then the Sufis, who used to walk across to the pilgrimage. In fact, any foreigner up to 40s, uh, we used to call Darawish, Darawish from the Dervishes. After that, when we got to know other Arabs, mostly people from Syria who were called uh, Sham, we started calling everybody with trousers Shami, Shwam. And then slowly we opened up and people kept coming. They, I had a story recently that said that when the oil agreement with Americans was uh, being uh, worked on. First question when they first came was the uh, King Abdulaziz said, uh, do they believe in God? So they said, yes. Then he asked his advisor or person who brought them, uh, do they have any colonies? He said, no. So he said, I will sign. The bit about believing in God it's very important because the Saudis, just a little bit before that year, were actually, most of them were in revolt, edged on by, for political reasons, but using the religious backdrop, were basically protesting the openness to the world. One that was very little opening. And this we've had up and down for years. Fast development in the 70s, a reaction from a lot of people, again, edged on by some religious thinking and some uh, religious, uh, could say conservative, activist, extremist, take your own label. Um, and then later on, lots of issues came up with the United States. What people are so shocked about, and particularly the Saudi tweets, I mean, tweeters, <coughs> 
is that they've never seen a lot of these issues come up. Before, it didn't. They weren't the same situation. As for the relationship with America, of course, we have never before, and because of the, what is on the ground and what is needed for the public, we have never talked about it in public. Now we have two meetings, a meeting between an official, the, our officials, and they go out, each one saying something different about Syria. We say Bashar al-Assad must go, otherwise the public will not accept him, and the others go and say whatever they say. We disagree in public, agree in, in public, and the same in private. There's constant meetings. I think once we probably heard that our foreign minister was speaking to Mr. Kerry 17 times in five days. And it is because of the way people communicated and because of what's happening on the ground. If you want to do something positive, you have to be on top of things. People who want to damage, disrupt, sabotage, terrorize, whatever they do, they don't care. They go from one point to another without thinking about the impact. They just want to go for the kill. People who, and I hope we are uh, having many who would be with us, who want to do good, they have to work very hard. The relations with the United States have been good, successful. We had major differences. I don't want to go through the milestones. Primarily one is 1973. The other one was uh, Camp David, summer of 79, uh, where at the time the administration wanted a clear uh, position. Our position was very clear. But it's not something that you, know, you can announce then. We wanted to stay with the Arab fault because we did not trust Saddam Hussein walking away with them. And we also wanted to support any peace, but we were worried about the way it was done by Mr. Sadat and the lack of attention to the details, both on the Egyptian side and on the American side. In fact, I remember King Fahd tried and made a big study and he sent it to Mr. Carter on what does self-rule mean or autonomy. It was so detailed, it's unbelievable. It, it talked about electricity metering, parking space and all of this. Because if you are an, an occupier, you could really squeeze the public in ways that nobody would see. And nobody, who's going to do the details? Who's going to follow the details? And the Palestinians were not consulted. So how can you talk about self-rule and autonomy if you don't know the little details? So we were caught and there was very bad tension, very bad stress in the relationship. But the relationship is so vers uh, diversified, so deep, historically, almost nine decades, and it has been good for the world. Saudi Arabia has had a very major positive involvement in world organizations, in a lot of processes that took place in a lot of things in the Middle East. And just look at the ones we were friendly with. And look at what had been achieved in the United States. Saudi Arabia was one of the few countries that were at the forefront of fighting the Soviet uh, threat, the Soviet uh, empire, and had been very supportive of the United States. There were a lot of things in the past. 
as of now, there's so many things. Commerce, political work on a daily basis, counter-terrorism in a big way, people to people. We probably have the largest community of Saudis uh, in social relations, marriage, intermarriage, more than maybe most of the Arab countries we border, except maybe for uh, Egypt and Kuwait. One of the major uh, things that we noticed with American corporations is that they move very fast in a country they know. And believe me, in Saudi Arabia, they knew Saudi Arabia very well. When in the 90s, there was some people in the administration who thought of this MENA straight line, Morocco to Jordan, U.S. government funded the administration of all these governments except two, Algeria and Libya. They also had a good understanding with them. This is after 92. There were talks with the Palestinians, Madrid conference before, then the Oslo uh, thing. A major uh, article appeared at that time leaking and the leak came from two senior U.S. government officials, leaked the chapter four within the IMF report, which derided the Saudi economy, financial situation. The Saudi government lost during Iran-Iraq war, Iraq invasion and subsequent liberation, which was a brilliant cooperation between the two countries. Uh, Anything I really have heard from 190 billion to 230 billion. And it was very important and the Saudis never thought about the cost because it would have been disastrous because we thought Saddam Hussein was a political criminal who behaved in a, such a way that was totally unnecessary and who did not care. I mean, he could have drove down down the highway from the Kuwait border to where I was working in Jubail, we could have bombed the hell out of his troops when he doesn't care if he lost 100,000 or whatever. And he could have caused damage, he could have caused damage to world economy, but lives mostly. And the way the Saudis responded to it, the way they prepared for it, the way they did it was brilliant. Although there were even people here, and certainly in our part of the world, who were saying the Americans were going to occupy the Gulf. I don't know any of you who remember those days. Uh, they said that the Americans were uh, going to occupy the Gulf, fix oil prices at 22, $2 per barrel for production cost, and $10 per barrel for the troops, American troops, and uh, $10 for the host country. This caused a lot, many people believed it. We had all sorts of people in the, our country and the Gulf set up and start positioning themselves. There was a man who uh, was under corruption trial who suddenly decided to become, to call <laughs> uh, his organization, I think, the Human Rights Something. And he was under corruption uh, charges. 
And then suddenly, you know, he thought of himself as a great leader, and uh, because everybody thought the Americans were taking, took the Gulf, so everybody was polishing themselves or taking positions. There was a religious preacher somewhere who thought, you know, he would, people would not get arrested if the Americans are there. Everybody thought, you know. Anyway, we had very clear agreement to the United States. A lot more detail than people think. The Saudis insisted on the alcohol and drug laws to apply. And the officers were so upset. And then I remember one logistics uh, general uh, in charge of logistics who came to us to thank all those that supported the coalition troops. And he said to me, thank God you agreed, uh, you insisted on this, on Saudi laws. I said, why? He said, because we had much less loss or uh, many less losses than for the same size over a three-week period than, than uh, uh, a NATO exercise in Germany. We had a, a great uh, experience with the American military, and I'm so happy to see a few. I also saw one or two uh, Saudis and others from West Point, and I think from the Navy, and also some uh, female officers. I was hoping they'd be Saudi. The Ministry of Defense hires civilian, but not yet uh, military women. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is that the field is different, the issues are different, the speed of dealing with them, but it is the same, working with the United States on a number of issues based on a lot of factors, but based on the fact that the United States says they will do good, and hopefully they will be able to do a lot of good, and it is just hard work. I mean, hard work will get you there. And there is tremendous uh, trust in each other. Some people like to label things with uh, certain administrations, certain lines. But sorry, I, I spoke a bit too much, and I was hoping to get some questions and answers, but I think there are people coming. Did you get any questions? Anything interesting? Yes. <laughs> you want to ask Where are they? Some? Can I see? Yes. Do you think Saudi Arabia runs out of oil? What is your opinion about? I don't understand. Is this oil? Yeah, it is. 2030 vision, what's your opinion about no. the 2030 vision? No, do you think Saudi Arabia will run out of oil? Run out or will, will run? run out. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> There's some more for you. Missing with America and Saudi Arabia, Arab partners, understanding. I mean, of course, there's always misunderstanding. You know, you meet somebody for sometimes who doesn't know the history or the background of, say, the Yemen issue. I met somebody, I should say somebody without actually anymore, because I don't want to criticize, criticize. 
I sit with him to talk about things, and he said, what about the madrasas? What? And I was thinking, of course, in my mind, I went to a madras sauce, being, you know, I like food, so I was thinking, uh, I thought he was talking about cooking. And then he's talking about madrasas, Taliban, Afghanistan, Pakistan. We built schools, mosques, libraries for Muslim minorities everywhere, like any, anybody uh, who wants to do, uh, and they lack schools and things, and they think it's the same as madrasas. We have nutcases, extremists and others, <laughs> with us who terrorized it uh, socio-religiously before, and we suffer from the same thing. And they think, just because you built a building, that you are Talibanish, or Pakistan intelligence who built the idea of a Taliban, the students going. So there is, yes, a lot of misunderstanding, but it needs servicing, a lot of hard work, media, public. Saudis and Arabs don't like to do this. I think it's, you know, impolite. No, no. Why? I see Saudis and Arabs <coughs> who are educated here. And I say, look, why don't you bring more journalists and more people to speak? No, no. We, so what? Let them say whatever. Unfortunately, we suffer in some markets, <laughs> political markets. Uh, what more can U.S. and Saudi Arabia do to respond to the crisis? <coughs> just have a good understanding and know who is doing what and just think of a timetable very quickly. I'm sure the ambassador of Yemen explained much better than me. <coughs> One thing about us, I can only see if anybody attacks human lives and disturbs the border and whatever, for whatever reason, we're going to continue hitting them no matter what it takes. No matter what it takes because you cannot live with this. We've seen it in other Arab countries. We've seen huge numbers coming to the States and the West because they procrastinated on two things. We will continue. We have righteousness, legitimacy, <coughs> a lot of support, and anybody who wants to solve the Yemen problem should understand who is making all the problems. We will not at all allow anything to develop in the future like this, no matter what it takes. Um, what do you think about Jasta? What is, what is Jasta? I'm only the ambassador. <laughs> no, I know, I understand. You know what it is. The, yeah, it is, a, it is an unfortunate uh, American thing. Uh, it is really an American issue, and a lot of countries were very disturbed about it, and uh, it's up to the Americans, really. Uh, how do you see the future relations between U.S. Well, we'll continue working, and the basics are there. The ups and downs are short term. I mean, you deal with them and handle them. We've been through thick and thin, and actually it's never been as much involved as before. Really, on Mabuk, <laughs> we have a wedding ceremony today. <laughs> uh, question to visit, uh, 
What, what do you tell the Saudi Arabian people, or how do you tell them about the anti-Muslim hate speech by uh, Donald Trump and others in the last year and a half? What can I tell them? I mean, they, they know about uh, such situation. They follow things. In fact, some of them are better informed than I. You should see when I go home, people corner me, even our youngsters in our family and others asking difficult questions where I, I don't even know the background to it. It is, I don't know, Americana. <laughs> uh, you know, a feature of political life. We've seen this before, actually. I mean, I remember being asked and sent, actually, to people who were close to Reagan, who, Mr. President Reagan, who was in the elections in 1980, was Everybody used Saudi Arabia. You see, during this season, another thing, I imagined why did somebody who, <coughs> in fact, I've been trying to ask who, and uh, who has been behind all these things, Shukran. I imagined Saudi Arabia being taken, made, I mean, the name, you, you get a balloon, you put our name on it, and then I imagined all these machines under making hot air. Excuse the, uh, <laughs> excuse the pun. No, it's not a pun. You know what I mean? A lot, and everybody's shooting at us. I think maybe here is the future of politics on TV, where if something becomes famous, everybody would want to use it. Um, what is missing in America? Yeah, we talked about that. Anyway, I should really stop. I'm taking your time. I'm sorry. Um, Mr. Ambassador, we, we can conclude on this. We've appreciated yeah, your humor question. and your insight. You have one last one that you want to I answer? just want to say, Saudi Arabia has been a target for good and bad. Generally, the United States is fully understanding the importance of the relationship and the diversification, the subjects. I, I tell you, I can't have time to do anything here. So many things going on, and that is with me not covering a lot of the important things that I should be covering. I haven't done a lot of media, I haven't done a lot of uh, things. Uh, this is, I think, one of the first major uh, uh, gatherings that I spoke. I spoke in one or two places. We can't keep up with the, the issues. I mean, when I see people, I cannot speak in general like this because the general audience because uh, yesterday they had a meeting. This morning they had the phone, uh, sort of. Um, but one thing for sure, we in Saudi Arabia have the important location. We border 10 uh, Arab countries facing East Asia all the way to South Africa, facing Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and India. We have the oil, holy places, we will always be a target. Anybody who's anybody would want to start to Saudi Arabia, good or bad. You want to bring something, you go to talk to Saudis, because the other important thing is the relationship with many of the nations in the Middle East. The important ones, the sensible ones, but we are, will always be the target for Every Tom, Dick, and excuse the pun this time, Zawahari. <laughs> Thank you. Ouch.